We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Crossing route, Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP. Wait, he throws back shoulder. Higby reaches out and makes an incredible catch for a first down. Off his back foot, he throws to the end zone. Cooper Cup leaping to make the catch. Out of bounds, he has it for six. He's got a knee-high snap, looking left. Now over the middle. He pump fakes. He rolls to his right with Connor Barwin pursuing. He knocks him down. The ball is thrown up in the air and batted away. Incomplete. The Rams' defense clinches it. Goff will come on the field for victory formation. Rams sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to L.A. This January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is managing editor Derek C. Paul with the man, the myth, the legend, the fishing fiend. Norm Hightower coming back from tournament to present to you our 100th episode of Rams Talk Radio. We are going to go a little bit live tonight. We have a couple of really great guests on the show. Um, I, we're going to jump right into it right after we do our iTunes spot. But, folks, this is a must listen. So, please, if you are a normal listener, share this thing. It's, it's our 100th. It's a big bang of our podcast. So, here we go. Folks iTunes, please, a five-star review. We greatly appreciate it. 
Again, you're in a contest there. Once you put that five-star review to get a $50 gift card over to NFLShop.com, hopefully buying Ram stuff, by the way. If not, well, just don't tell us, okay? Just don't tell us. Also, you can find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, over at Android, iHeartRadio. We're on IEBeat Radio, by the way. And I, I think I missed something. Google Play. Yep, Google Play. So there we go. All right, go right to our guest. We are with Optimum Skies. Optimum Scouting Director of Player Personnel, Eric Galco. He has a podcast as well, Scanning the Field, NFL's uh, College Football Writer for Sporting News. Welcome to the show. What's going on, guys? How are you guys doing tonight? Doing great, well, thank you. We're pumped, man. This is our this is our big 100. You know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's it's a big deal to us. We're glad to have you on the show overall. It's, it's just good stuff. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. So let's do some uh, Ramsock. Here, not the sexiest Rams draft, I guess, with no round first round pick, but um, lots of soul do with this team. Well, Norman and I have been really talking about this in the last couple of weeks in terms of what do the Rams doing to do. And our consensus is linebackers, linebackers, edge rushers, and offensive line. Is that what you're seeing here? Yeah, I think so. I think generally for teams that are playoff teams and want to stay playoff teams generally look towards offensive line first and foremost. It's a position where you can really never have enough depth in every even great playoff team to stay relatively healthy. You always have at least one offensive line to get hurt or, or be inconsistent. So um, I think offensive line, would, was what I recommend and what I've heard they're looking to do too. And if they find a good draft to do it, they can not have a first round pick and still get maybe a starter uh, that can be super helpful for them. Well, if you're picking for the Rams in the third round, where are you going? Yeah, I think offensive guard, offensive Center is going to be there. Guys like Austin Corbett of Nevada would be a great fit to kind of fit in their offense and, and, and play on the interior. And then at guard, you've got guys like Smith of Auburn may be available too. And the Rams are a team that is not going to be shy about moving up in the draft if they have a guy like I think the Rams and the Chiefs, two teams that don't have a first-round pick but could be very active on draft day because, hey, they realize their window is now and the Rams will, will be aggressive. And if a top offensive lineman to your guy falls on draft day, they'll go get him like that, whether it's a Three and moving up the round three to go get it more. Bray and Smith and, and you know, Aubrey, I think those are two guys to watch out for. Are you concerned about their linebackers at all? Yeah, a little bit. I, you know, as a playoff team like them, they have great secondary play. They have great pass rushers. Linebackers is not a position I'm always worried about for a team. I think for the Rams, adding it would be great. But, but I think they're fine where they're at. And it's not a great linebacker class to need a guy in rounds two or three. So I think the Rams, what they've been, and what Leslie has always been very smart about doing is is truly not reaching for positions of need, especially at non-premium positions. Um, he's made do without a lot of great running back, investing draft picks behind Todd Gurley. That's a very smart decision as well, too. And you know he's invested draft picks and free signings and a lot of more premium positions. So certainly, I think linebacker will be added around two or three. But the Rams are not going to reach on a linebacker uh, because they have a need because they know they're not going to find a plug-and-play starter anyways at that position. So they're better off with the veterans they have. I actually agree. Yeah. I actually agree with you. That's kind of where I've been saying they they do need linebackers, they do need edge rushers, but I think they're going to rely a lot on some of the players that they currently have now. And uh, we spoke to our next guest that, and he he mentioned that uh, there's a lot more talent on the Rams squad than most people give credit for at linebacker. Right. Yeah, and I think one thing for the Rams too is 
you know, this draft, just like in free agency, just like in the trade market, this draft is going to help them win right now. And this is a team that is planning to win right now, and their window is 2018 to, I guess, 2021 until they have to sign Goff to a big extension. Like, they realize it's their window, so their draft picks are going to be immediate contributors, and that's offensive line depth, which isn't a starter position, but you really it's going to be a starter at some point when injuries do happen. And then finding playmakers on offense or defense, finding more nickel cornerbacks to kind of add depth there, finding maybe an offensive playmaker, a guy like Jalen Samuels in round three, a guy to definitely watch out the Rams, definitely like Jalen Samuels quite a bit. He could be a guy to add. Again, it's not a position of need, but this team is trying to shore up any kind of, not shore up any weak spots, but just stay as efficient and explosive as possible on both sides of the ball. And, you know, I think adding a guard would have to increase depth where they need it. But outside of that, they're going to try to draft some playmakers to make a day one impact. So you're thinking probably offensive line in the third round. They have a bunch of picks in the fourth round. Where do they go? Yeah, I, I think the Rams are going to be more than just picking in rounds three and a couple in round four. I think it's going to be moving up and down the draft. Where I think they'll move up and probably round three is a guy they like, like Jalen. It's available, but, um, you know, I think guard, corner, and playmaker across the board is going to be where they look and linebacker impossible. So, again, just important to keep in mind from Rams' perspective is that they are not going to draft guys who are plug-and-play starters. You're not going to find a starter. You can expect to find one at that point in the draft, too. So I think when it comes to round four and, you know, after they get their playmaker, whether it's Jalen Samuels in round three or someone in round four to be kind of a situational guy, whether that's a slot receiver or a, a guy like Ray Ray McLeod in rounds four or five could be a unique playmaker for them and takes them to load off their, their current returners. I think it's going to be a lot of offensive linemen and a lot of DB, DB heavy. That's interesting. It's that's not really what everybody's been talking about, so I, it's a different take for sure. Because I think most people were thinking, you know, like Derek said at the beginning, linebacker, linebacker, linebacker. But I can see your point on, on what you're saying. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think that. Any, again, I, I'm thankful to kind of have a decent idea of what the Rams are thinking. And, you know, you can't draft for need when you've traded your top two round picks away. You, you can't expect to find guys that are starters. So, you know, the Rams, and, Le- and Leslie gets that. Leslie does a great job about understanding draft value at each roster spot. And you can't go into a draft and trade your first round pick and still try to draft a first round talent. You can't you can't plan on doing that. So, you know, Les Snead and Sean McVay are, are happy with their current roster. They want to use the draft to kind of find some pieces to kind of complete, not complete, but update the roster a little bit. But, you know, the NFL draft is not about, and free agency is not about being pretty good at every position. It's about being really good in three or four areas on both sides of the ball, and then having those areas kind of hide, maybe for this, in their case, the lack of great linebacker depth. Uh, so I think the Rams are going to stay away. I mean, they could take a linebacker for sure around three boards in need, and this guy in the board is impressive. Maybe a guy like Scott Moore of South Carolina could be a good fit for what they do in round four. He might be a plug-and-play starter, but you know, the Rams are going to definitely value what all smart playoff teams do, and that's offensive linemen, DBs, and finding a unique playmaker on either side of the ball to help out. What about a possible edge rusher that gets down there? Are, are there any that could drop to them or they could go out and get? Yeah, I think edge rusher-wise, I mean, one guy to keep in mind is P.J. Hall of Sam Houston State. He's more of an interior guy, but can play outside a little bit, and they like him quite a bit. So the Rams are okay on the inside of the defensive line, for sure. I think we could all agree there. But, um, you know, I got P.J. Hall is a guy that could be a nice luxury pick for them to add more interior pressure. He's a guy that comes to mind that I know they like quite a bit. But, you know, one of the 
frustrating part about this draft class for NFL team while we'll see a lot of edge guys go in round two is that it's not a very deep edge rusher class. Um, and I think that, that may be why the Rams want to punt at that position, at least in, in the draft pick range. And just so you guys are aware, too, we, we talked to NFL teams, we consult for some NFL teams, too, and a common strategy is that if you have a major in a need for a, ro- a key rotational player like an edge rusher here, a lot of teams will say, hey, if our guy's not there with our first pick in the Rams' case, third round, let's take a guy in the seventh round and then sign a bunch of free agents after the draft and hope that sticks. And that's kind of the alternative strategy here. So I think for pass rusher at a spot they definitely need, there's not going to be a lot of great value around three or four for them. Um, so I think they'll probably wait till late in the draft and address free agency to kind of address that need. It's really interesting. You, Norm and I were just talking about the lack of depth in linebacker and and at the edge, but we still thought that they'll probably go as heavy as they can if the if the pieces are there. But you're saying this is something they're going somewhere else, probably. Yeah, I mean, hey, it's if you draft, you know, if you're drafting fourth round players in round three, I don't care what your positional need is, it's going to be a bad pick. And 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 like I said, less need is one of the more respected GMs in the NFL in terms of his job to evaluate talent. I, I think he's had some misses in his time um, as the Rams GM, but I, I think he does a great, great job of undertaking the correct chances, right? Taking the risk where he should, but also not wasting mid to late round picks. Done a great job of that over his career um, as the Rams GM, and I think that's a big reason why is that you cannot expect to fill needs through the draft. You can never expect to do that. In round one and round two, you can sometimes get away with it if you really need a linebacker. You can maybe reach a little bit on a guy, but for the most part, when you get to day two and day three of the draft, you've got to find guys that are just going to make your roster and make your team better in that area. Um, and for the Rams, when you don't have a lot of draft picks, you can't afford to miss on guys, right? You can't afford to just take a linebacker because you need one, and then he shows up and he sucks in training camp and you got to cut him. That's how you go backwards. Um, rookies are so important to building your roster, not just because they're immediate playmakers, but they're guys in your roster for three, four years. So uh, if you take a guard who can be a long-term backup and maybe be a spot starter, even if that's round four, that helps you now and it saves you money later. So so no, I don't think the Rams are going to reach for edge rushers when it's not a great edge rusher class. They're not going to reach on a linebacker in round four when the linebacker death, especially for four three linebackers, kind of die somewhere in the middle of round three. So, um, yeah, I, I, again, we'll see if a linebacker slips in round three. Maybe they go up and get a Fred Warner out of BYU can play a few spots, but I think for the most part, they're going to kind of stick with smart teams do, O-linemen, DBs, and five playmakers. Ramick Wilson, uh, they brought him in. What's your what's your thoughts on him? You know, I have Ramick Wilson from Georgia a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I haven't seen him play in the NFL well enough. I, I unfortunately stick to college for the most part, unless he's training camp consulting, but you know, coming out of college, he, he was fine. I, I didn't think he was a capable linebacker, and you know, much more they have played in particular. But just getting some bodies in there too, and I will say, the linebackers, I would think it's a huge need for the Rams because when you have that kind of quarterback play and that kind of pass rushers. You see the New York Giants when they were a dynasty um, back in the early 2000s. That's what they relied upon, and the Rams were the same type of mentality. And, and again, it's not about being good at every position; it's about kind of having strengths on either side of, of your weaknesses. Well, that's what I've been kind of explaining in the last few podcasts is that when you have a defensive line like the Rams have and you have corners that can shut down the pass, all your linebackers really have to do is be able to fill gaps and tackle. And, right. And if they can do that, then they're going to be fine. And that's why I think that they're not putting such a priority on it like you're saying. 
Right, absolutely. You know, you know, you can't you can't expect to be good, good in every spot. And teams have tried that, and you can look at, at historical references. But you know, hey, when you try to be good in every position, you end up being mediocre at all of them, and that's not how you win Super Bowls. So I think the Rams have recognized that, and that's why they've been really aggressive. They've been getting really good cornerbacks, and they have not been as aggressive in getting decent linebackers. It's it's a strategy that's paid off across the NFL, and you know sometimes it kind of stumble into success in other positions too. So you know the Rams might draft two linebackers in the sixth and seventh round and sign to another free agency and get his diamond in the rough out of that. That could be the best strategy to do. So a lot of ways to build a roster besides just addressing your needs when you have them. Now there's a certain tackle or guard, depending on what people are saying, that came that's coming out of Oregon that uh, our boy Norm here happens to have a little bit little bit of a man crush on. He'll deny it a little bit. Um, how do you see him fitting can he drop down the Rams possibly? Tyrell Crosby Morgan, that you're referring to? Yeah, that's who I'm referring to. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's going to be probably, I mean, not probably, he's going to be a top 35 pick in the draft. Uh, he's a really impressive tackle prospect. He might slide inside the guard, but teams are comfortable with him and his arm like to play in the perimeter. So I think Cleveland Browns at 33 or 35 might make him a pick. But hey, offensive line play throughout the NFL is really down, and that's kind of a constant thread uh, of, you know, input from NFL teams that I've talked to is, hey, we've got to get more offensive linemen. They're good offensive linemen. They're not going to fall far in the draft. So he might be one of the top four or five offensive linemen off the board, and that puts him someplace in the top 40 picks. There goes the drop possibility. Speaking of the draft, moving away from the Rams a little bit and over to the big names on Thursday night, who's going number one? Uh, I mean, Sam Darnold, I believe, is going to go first overall. According to all my sources, he, he's been the first overall pick since he declared for the draft. I've never otherwise, but you know, people I respect in the industry and, and some of my colleagues um, believe Josh Allen's a real possibility. There's still some doc connecting you can make that, that makes Josh Allen a possibility, whether it's John Dorsey and his drafting of Pat Mahomes a year ago to you know, some people in that front office liking Josh Allen and saying it almost publicly to, you know, kind of the Josh Allen persona fitting in Cleveland pretty well. All those, all those doc connections are great, but... Uh, at the end of the day, I, I believe Sam Brown will be the first overall pick. I think it would be a great decision by the Cleveland Browns to make him that pick. So, if they take him number one, who do the Giants take number two? Yeah, the Giants will have an opportunity to uh, to trade a little bit, and the Buffalo Bills will certainly keep being aggressive and try to get the number two overall pick. Um, but I think the Giants are probably going to stay put. They love Saquon Barkley. They like Bradley Chubb a lot, too. That's kind of what they're weighing right now, as far as I've heard, and yeah, the Giants are a new regime. Um, Dave Gettleman has not really told anybody their draft plans, and really probably only Pat Shermer maybe knows their head coach now. So um, I don't want to say I know for sure, but I feel pretty confident Saquon Barkley's the top guy on their board. And um, unless the Buffalo Bills can give them a huge offer or a surprise team gives me a huge offer, I think the, uh, the New York Giants they put it to would take Saquon Barkley. All right. So if the if the Browns take Sam Darnold. And we, we're here. I'm by the way. I'm in Northeast Ohio. I hear a lot of buzz either way right now, and between Darnold and Allen, and I believe it's a mistake if the, if the Browns take Allen. But where does Allen land in the end, in your view? Um, yeah, I think the most likely spot seems to be the Buffalo Bills. They have a lot of interest in him, and um, they've been aggressive in their ideas to trade up for him. But it's tough to say right now. I think the you know, if the Giants do go quarterback and Sam Darnold's gone, hey, Josh Allen makes a lot of sense with the New York Giants. Uh, the uh, 
the Denver Broncos at five, I'm told they're weighing, taking him if Josh Allen's available, so that's a fit too. Um, the Buffalo Bills, like I mentioned, are probably the most likely team to take him, and, and that's kind of where the draft will start at number two overall if they move up to get him. So I think the Buffalo Bills are most likely to move up for him. But hey, there's a chance he speed slips a little bit too. I know I'm giving a lot of hedge of my bets here a little bit, but I believe it's the Bills. But, you know, I've talked with people in the league who, who see scenarios where maybe Josh Allen falls out of the top five picks and slides a little bit. So, you know, they, the inconsistency of Josh Allen's play on the field is kind of translating where he might go on draft. I watched Josh Allen play a lot, and because you know, I was a West Coast guy, I live in the East Coast now. But and, and I was, I really wasn't that impressed. Now I know his measurables and seeing him at the combine, and you know the fact that he's got such a strong arm is great. But when I watched him play, he didn't. I guess maybe he didn't have the targets, but he just didn't seem that impressive to me. Right, and, and hey, the, the Josh Allen. Being inconsistent, being inaccurate is, you know, that, that's kind of had its day, right? We've been talking about Josh Allen, maybe not being worth the top 10 pick for a long time. And, and I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think that the, the accuracies, the inconsistency uh, as a thrower is concerning. And, you know, I believe, and what a lot of quarterback coaches have always taught me is, hey, find what a quarterback has that's fixable, what's not fixable. And if the quarterback has more things that are fixable than unfixable, then take that guy and, and trust your coaches to work with him. But, um, I don't think Josh Allen's stuff is entirely that fixable, but who knows? But hey, it's you know starting in April, April first. You know my evaluations, and and I think a lot of people's outside the NFL. You gotta you gotta push those aside a little bit and play devil's advocate and see why he can be successful. I think if he's in a situation where he's not starting right away, but with a coaching staff that's going to be around for a few years and kind of put him in the right situation to grow, I think he could be a very very good NFL quarterback. So um, you know I think he could be a somewhere between Eli Manning and this sounds ridiculous, but Eli Manning level and accuracies, but still big playability, and then that athleticism of a Cam Newton with his big body type. So uh, he could be a pretty special quarterback talent, but he's a lot to go right. No, the one thing I kind of question with Allen is the accuracy. We had Benjamin Albright in the show a few days ago here, and also just seeing him on Twitter. He's, his big case right now against Allen is, you know, that accuracy in his view is not something you can really improve all that much. Do you agree with that? Do you disagree? Or just on a case-by-case basis when it comes to accuracy in quarterbacks? Yeah, well, I mean, as I, as I kind of said like a little bit, it's, it's about what's coachable and what's not. And, you know, there are, there are issues with Josh Allen and his footwork and mechanics that are definitely partially coachable, um, able to be fixed. You know, footwork is one area where it kind of rushes his footwork quite a bit and, and throws off balance, keeps his back leg too firm and, and too tight, doesn't really let himself kind of adjust naturally, and that's something you can work on. But the other side of the coin is the mental processing's not there all the time. He, he misses easy keys and reads for defense that he should be taking advantage of after being, you know, a two-and-a-half-year starter at Wyoming. So there, there are things that are coachable, things that aren't, and the accuracy is some area that, in some respects, it's definitely fixable. An NFL team wouldn't want him if it wasn't fixable. Uh, but the, the level and degree of that ability to be fixed is, uh, is a big question. But again, hey, you know, I've made my bet in our uh, Josh Allen evaluation. It's about kind of finding out why NFL teams are going to draft this guy because, you know, as much as maybe I don't like him as a quarterback, there's going to be some team in the top six, seven picks, maybe the top three picks, that thinks he's a franchise quarterback. It's about finding a way to kind of look through their lens and see what they see. So do you have any surprises for us in the first round? Anything going to happen that none of us expect? Um, you know, I, I think Josh Rosen has a great chance to slide in the draft. Um, 
some teams like like Josh Rosen as a top quarterback prospect uh, more than a few teams don't. Um, and I think that's what's going to lead to maybe a slide on draft day. And you know, as of right now, if, if he goes someplace in the teens, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, he may be surprised to hear that, but he's he's not a quarterback for everybody. There's other stuff going on off the field, and, and NFL teams you know have some concerns about. Hey, it's it's a tremendous draft class in terms of high upside quarterbacks. You got. Darnold and Allen with all their upside. Baker Mayfield's tremendously NFL ready. Lamar Jackson's exciting. If you have a question about Josh Rosen, why not take one of the more up, higher upside guys anyways and, and, and not deal with the other stuff? So I, I think Rosen has a great chance to slide on draft day, which is really be surprising for some people. If he slides, where is to go? I think the Los Angeles Chargers would be a great fit for him. Because the Chargers are a team that want to be like the Rams from a few years ago, go to L.A., get a franchise quarterback from Los Angeles or from California, and but I've been with that guy, so the Chargers can make too much sense, in my opinion. And you know, they can sit behind Philip Rivers for a year or two, then Rivers, whose contract's up in two years, gets it right off into the sunset, and then it's Josh Rose's team in LA. I I would agree with you on that. I think that's a great a great scenario for them. Now there's two other quarterbacks too as well. There's Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson, you just mentioned them. Where does Baker Mayfield go? And I guess the question too is where does Lamar Jackson go? Uh, yeah, Baker Mayfield's going to go someplace in the top 11 overall picks. I think the Dolphins will know as he goes, and I think there's a great chance the Dolphins can move up if he slides a little bit. But the New York Jets at three um, is where I expect them to go right now. And you know, the Jets have interest in Josh Rosen, too, and certainly if Sam Darnold doesn't go first overall, the Jets will like him, too. So I think Baker Mayfield is likely to be a New York Jet, but I won't say for sure. And then Lamar Jackson's a wild card right now. If I have money on it, I'd say he's a New Orleans Saint by the end of Thursday night, but they'll have to move up in the draft board to get him because he's like the Dolphins and Cardinals and even the Seahawks like like Lamar Jackson. So Lamar's still kind of a wild card a little bit, but uh, I think Baker's more sure to be a Jet or a Dolphin. Last quarterback question, I promise. This has been quarterback heavy here. Um, the Patriots, those hated Patriots. Tom Brady's getting a little bit long the tooth here. Where, do the Patriots maybe make a move here? Who's a fit for them? Yeah, they, they have interest in Lamar Jackson. They could be a team that if he if he's someplace in the mid-teens, maybe they move up for him, and they've got plenty of ammunition up for a quarterback, and Josh McDaniels does like Lamar Jackson. But if not him, uh, Kyle Aletta of Richmond makes a lot of sense. Certainly another small school, quick-release quarterback to replace Jimmy Garoppolo would be a little bit ironic, but also great. Mason Rudolph fits their personality, what they like a lot. Two guys around three and four, Mike White and Luke Falk, that uh, the Patriots like quite a bit in rounds three and four. So, uh I think all those are options. The Patriots have a lot of homework on quarterbacks. They'll take one in the top three, four rounds, but which one, I'm not sure. Well, they have a history of being able to take late-round quarterbacks and turn them into something, huh? Right, yeah, right. Well, Garoppolo's a second-round pick, but for sure they've done a good job about kind of finding Brady's backups. But, hey, Garoppolo's the first one that actually had to play, and he did a pretty good job. So they want to find the next next Garoppolo if they can. Well, I was really referring to Brady. <laughs> oh, right, right. Now, are there any other surprises you expect uh, besides Josh Rosen? Yeah, any other surprise in the first round or any, any other big names we should keep an eye on? As far as I know, no. I, I don't know what else in round one that's really going to be surprising. Certainly, guys, you know, Darius Geis can be available in round two. That may be surprising. I think he slips out of round one if he doesn't go to you know, the one or two teams that are considering him. That could be a surprise. And then another guy, David Bryan of Florida, I think could, could slip out of round one and be an early round two guy as well. So, those two guys are considered first-round prospects that may slip a little bit. But outside of that, you know, it's hard to have an idea about surprises without 
kind of getting any idea what you're looking for. I think we've pelted you enough tonight. Uh, Eric, can you tell the folks where they can catch up with you? Sure. Uh, follow along on Twitter, at OptumScouting on Twitter, that also will have plenty of content over at Sporting News on the uh, lead NFL draft guy, along some other stuff over there, but certainly all the mock drafts, big boards, rumors, posts, etc. coming out over at Sporting News during draft weeks. So follow them there. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Oh, and one more thing I just wanted to ask you. Your Scanning the Field podcast is pretty stinking good, too. When's that one coming up in the episode? Yeah, I appreciate it, man. That's kind of my outlet to uh, pass the web right here in, in the NFL, so I usually kind of go on there and then um, that's a, turning into new stories I learned after the fact. But no, the next Game of Field podcast will be this week. And, uh, you know, probably a big news stuff. But what I've heard, I'll probably go through team by team and let everyone know who's taking who and, and where they're looking at. So um, I'm thankful of a lot of good insight from NFL teams because we work with teams a lot and get a good feel for a lot of what they're saying. And uh, it'll be a fun draft this year to kind of pick and choose a lot more scenarios this year than I'm used to when I'll go over all those in the podcast. All right. Well, there you go, folks. Check it out. Scan the Field podcast. Listen to today's actually pretty good stuff. And Eric, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Thanks again. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Wow. How about some some scenarios there? Yeah, that's a, a definitely a different take than than what a lot of us were thinking. But I mean, kind of our mentality all along has been what we've talked about was they're going to take linebackers, they're going to move for edge rushers. It's a weak class, but they still need somebody. And now I'm just sitting here rethinking this and going, well, you know, that's a heck of a point. Well, I've been kind of wavering on it all along. Like I said, you know, when, when you have the kind of talent you have in the secondary and, you know, in safety as well, and then you've got the defensive line we have, you know, that's why I said maybe we were, re- maybe we were thinking this all along because, you know, maybe the talent that they have is good enough for what Wade Phillips wants to do, and that's why it's not been such a big concern. And basically, he's saying that's exactly the case. And, and I'm okay with that. I, I really, I'm kind of a grips with the fact that they may not take a linebacker early. And he's definitely right. I've felt all along that the linebacking uh, draft prospects in the rounds that the Rams have available aren't that great. There's still some guys I think that they could bring in that could possibly you know, be a day one starter, but it'd be a reach. Yeah, it would be. I mean, there, there are um, there are some guys who'd be there, right? You mentioned before Jeff Holland, you know, Shaq Griffin, uh, you know, even Dorrance Armstrong from Kansas are all guys who are going to be there between, you know, third to fifth round, and they could be a fit. But will any of them jump in right away and be a starter anyways? Probably not. Right. Well, and like – I. We've been talking about the fact that they very well may move up if there's somebody they really like, and and he kind of he kind of agreed with that scenario a little bit. If there's somebody there they really want, they're probably going to be moving up to get them. And I could I could definitely see that happen with the amount of picks that they have in the later rounds. So they're not going to move up for a linebacker. I'm pretty sure of that. I don't really think there's a guy that they're going to be able to get. You know, even if they were to move up and spend a lot of picks to go to the second, I, I really don't see who they would take there. So I think he's right that if they move up, it's going to be for somebody on the offensive line, and, and that makes a lot of sense. Well, a couple of guys I think of them, I, excuse me, I think could be there that might be worth a look. Darius Leonard will probably be there in the second, third round. He's a 3-4 guy, um, can move around a little bit. And you know, we, she's a Jerome Baker. He might be there, but... 
I don't think he's good of a fit. I th- I think that's really about it. There's nobody really that's all that impressive to move up for. It's really worth moving up for. You're going to package a couple picks to get up there and get them. So, offensive line? Yeah, I guess so. I, I think that's if they're going to move up, that's probably what they're going to go after because they're Honestly, in my in my opinion, the only way it's worth moving up to get a linebacker is if they're going to move way up, and I just don't see them spending the you know the house to do that. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them package you know a four and a six or four a couple sixes or whatever to move up into the third to get somebody they want on the offensive line or a playmaker that they may have an eye on that really fits something that they want to do. I, I just don't see him doing that for a linebacker. They are they are pretty deep at corner too. So if it's going to be death and and secondary stuff, I think they may go for safety and get somebody behind. But we, we lost Corey Davis, so you're, they're they're probably going to look at maybe a late safety. I, I gotta think they would. He mentioned a couple other guys that really surprised me I'm a little bit. It really kind of blew my mind a little bit. What about offensive lineman Frank Ragnow? He's expected to go second, third round. Um, Martinez Rankin, second, third round for centers. He mentioned Braden Smith going second, third round. Um, but then there's Terrell, you know, Terrell Crosby. He kind of surprised me. He might not make it out of the first round, and I thought he would draft, drop to the second or third round. Well, I always kind of thought he wouldn't make it much past the first round if he did. Um, of course, you always accuse me of being biased, but he's pretty darn good. So I, I didn't see him going. More than midway through the second. And I think there's going to be a run on offensive linemen myself. I think, you know, it's going to be a run on quarterbacks in the beginning, and then it's going to be a run on offensive linemen mid to late first round. Which means you could see some skill position guys drop. Yep, it's possible. And that's what he was talking about. I think the Rams are banking on that. I, I think they're, there's, they've probably got four or five guys that they're like, hey, if any one of these guys are available, you know, at – Maybe mid-second round or, or late-second round. Maybe we want to move up for them or even early in the third. Uh, but I think it's going to have to be somebody that they really like. And whether that be an offensive lineman or a punt returner, I mean, obviously we have a good punt returner, but it doesn't hurt to have more. And if he's a guy that can, you know, Contribute special teams and stuff like that, and he's got some playmaking ability. It, it may be a, a surprise guy. It may be a slot receiver or something that we don't really think that they need. But I think it would have to be somebody that they look very highly on, no matter what position it is, to move up into the second or third. You know, I'm being a little bit of a homer here, but I do wonder where Jamarco Jones from Ohio State is sitting. I mean, where on the Rams board. He's... A weird kind of guy. He His combine numbers are horrible. He kind of disappears once in a while in games, but there's sometimes he's dominant. Looks like he could be a full-time, not just a starter, but a solid starter in the NFL. He's he, he's going to be their third and fourth round. I wonder what they think of him. He And he did man a very good Ohio State offensive line for the last couple of years. I just wonder if they thought of him. He's six foot five, 310 pounds, big boy. I do wonder about guys like him as well. Well, the good news is is that it's uh, it's it's less than a week away, so we're going to find out real soon. We're real soon. All right, so folks, 
before we move on here to the big reveal, the big reveal, the one that Norm is over here just giddy about, let's get our sponsorship. Let's go ahead and talk about the, the folks who've been there with us since this whole podcast journey began, and that's the Golden Ram Barbershop. Sal Martinez out there at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California, 92683. It, folks, if you're looking for the, the awesome barbershop experience, this is where you go. Give them a call, 714-894-7267. Use the promo code RAMSTOCK. You go to this barbershop. Yes, I know, it's a barbershop. We're, we're talking about them cutting hair, which is one person, Sal. And when you walk in this barbershop, you have this one, maybe it's two chairs, two barbershop chairs, and you just sit down in front of you, and all you see is Rams. Rams posters, Rams jerseys, Rams helmets, Rams everything humanly possible. That you, you can love being a Rams fan. And then South Stern talks to you. You just have this great barbershop conversation over the entire course of it. It's well worth the visit, guys. Again, Gold Ram Barbershop, open Monday through Friday. 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Saturday, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Give them a call again, 714-894-7267. Sal Martinez's Golden Ram Barbershop. Oh, and if you are looking to sponsor us, email us, ramstalk1945 at gmail.com. We have several slots open. We're also looking for a national sponsor. All right, Norm, you ready? Well... If this doesn't bring more sponsors to the show, I don't know what will, because uh, we have a, a special guest that, uh, it's hard to get this guy, and I've been a, I've been a Rams fan, as, as most of you know, since, you know, 1966, so I've been around a while. Most fans that are out there uh, haven't seen the Fearsome Foursome and those guys play, but everybody knows about them, but really, the era that I grew up in was the Steelers and the, or, you know, the Rams versus the Steelers in the Super Bowl and, and, you know, the Rams of the 70s and their early 80s. And if you think about a player that really stuck out as being special during that time, it's the one and only Jack Youngblood. And uh, I have an interview with Jack, and if I sound like a giddy little schoolgirl, I'm sorry, but uh, we just look forward to uh, presenting it to you guys, and here we go. So this is Assistant Managing Editor Norm Hightower, and today we have a special guest on the show, former Los Angeles Rams defensive end, Hall of Famer, and seven-time Pro Bowler Jack Youngblood. Jack, welcome to the show. Norm, it's my pleasure, brother. Thank you. Well, I got to tell you, I'm I'm surprised I can even talk because as a kid, you were my my hero growing up. I modeled my football career as a youth after you. I uh, I wore your jersey. I had your number on my helmet playing youth football. I mean, it was you really affected my life as a young person. So, you know, for you being on the show, I really appreciate it, and uh, thank you for everything you did for a lot of other young people at that time too, because. You were a real inspiration to, to, I know, a lot of people that I played with. Well, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a tremendous compliment, and I, I appreciate it. You don't realize what you're doing, and, and that's, that's one of the reasons why uh, 
thank goodness I had I had great parents and and a, and a grandfather that taught me, you know, to do the right thing all the time. It, it will and it will pay off. Well, it it was uh, it was great watching you play. I, I modeled everything I could possibly do after you. I played the same position throughout grade school and high school and and into college and you know. I mean, let's let, let's quit talking about me though, and go into talking about you. You <laughs> played for the Rams. You got you got a great memory there, Norm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you uh, you played for the Rams from '71 to 1984. You made it to the to the NFC Championship game in 1979 and the Super Bowl. What was it like to reach the the Super Bowl and the pinnacle of your career there? You know, that's a you know that's a long story because we you know we. We started off in the, in the early 70s, first two years under press row were, were just, I mean, brutal. They were painful. We got Chuck Knox, and Chuck convinced us that, you know, if we do it his way, we'll win football games. And sure enough, you know, we, we bought in, especially after the, in 73, we, we got a new coach, and he's, you know, it's his first head coach uh, opportunity. And he's telling us we're going to do it this way. We're going to do it this way. We're going to be bad. we're going to be stronger, faster, and in better condition than any football team that we play. And we did that. And we we won the first six ball games. And at, at about that time, it kind of it was almost like the, the light turned on. Uh, this is working. <laughs> let's let's keep this going in the same direction. Let's and let's. Let's do everything we possibly can as players, you know, to to be prepared and to do what 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 the coach is asking us to do, to be in better shape than than our than our opponent, and to and and the plays play every play. Do not take a play off because that play could be the the difference in the ball game. Now, I've seen something similar to that in several movies, and so it sounds like it, it came from someplace real and. You guys definitely showed that on the field when you went out there, especially you know watching you go around the, go around the end and get to the quarterback, uh, and that's one of the reasons that I, I, I followed your career so much is I just was impressed with how quick you were, and obviously what he did, you know what he brought in for his coaching philosophy made a difference. What did it feel like to get your call to be inducted into the Hall of Fame? Yeah, it was phenomenal. It. Uh... It's one of those things that you, especially in your younger years, as you're playing, uh, as you're going through your career, Hall of Fame doesn't doesn't come into play. This is not one of the thoughts. That, you know, I'm playing this game just so I can be a Hall of Famer. No, I'm playing this game because I love to play football. I love to to win. I love to win every snap that I'm playing. Because I'm only guaranteed one play. That's that's the one in front of me right now. That's there's only one play, and you have to you have to take advantage of that. Uh, and you know it, it 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 took a while. I was on the I was on the, the the final the final what ten list I think eight times before I was inducted. But that was all right. I mean. I, it, it, they were mentioning my name in the Hall of Fame, and I'm, I'm, it, that's 
in and of itself, that's something. That's pretty and, incredible. But I have to tell you, it was ticking me off every time you weren't getting in. <laughs> <laughs> we got, we got close. We, yeah, actually, actually, this is a funny story. I'll go back a little bit. We we had some 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 of the uh, uh, some of the writers that that were on the board that that voted some of the, the the people who voted for the 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 hall who just did not like the Rams. I mean, and literally, I can't remember the, the man's name now, but he wrote he was he was a Minnesota Viking guy, and the day that I got inducted. I'm uh, uh, <laughs> I'm up on stage making a making a little you know a little speech, and afterwards, you know, there's a there's a group of the guys that were still there and they wanted to you know wanted to interview a little bit, and <laughs> this gentleman I can't remember his name. You'll have to you'll have to dig up who this was. Sure. Uh, but he walked up to me and he said. You know, you don't deserve to be here. And I kind of stepped backwards. I went, whoa. <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? He goes, he goes, Carl Eller should be here before you. And I went, how do you answer that? <laughs> wow. I went, I went, okay, <laughs> next. <laughs> Jeez, that'd be tough. You're right. What do you say to that? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, how do you answer that one? I mean, <laughs> but that's, you know, it, it was all right because I'm there. And that's one of those things where, like Deacon said, you're, you're, you're elected, you're, you're in the Hall of Fame, and you can't get cut. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Deacon, and in your biography, you talked about um, what you did to establish yourself with the Rams. What was it like, you know, having people like Merlin Olson and Deacon Jones around at the start of your career? They were responsible. That was both of those guys, especially Merlin, because I, I was with Merlin for for six or seven years, and uh, uh, I, I had Deacon one, and in that first in that first rookie season. Someplace along the along the line in, in in training camp, I can remember that both Merlin and Deacon, because we had Tommy Prothero as, as our head coach, and, and for whatever reason, I I don't know, I didn't, I probably didn't have two conversations with with Coach Prothero. The first one was when he drafted me, and and probably the second one was, I don't know. I, I, I don't remember another one, to be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> and he called me out in front of the entire football team one day uh, during during training camp, and he he said, "Young blood, you're the worst football player I have ever seen." Now I'm sitting I'm sitting next to Merlin at the uh, at at supper. And 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 Jack Snow was sitting on the other side of me. I I was a rookie and I was invited into the veteran surrounding, which was 
absolutely crazy in the first place, you know. <laughs> sure. Rookies don't get to do that. And, and both of them, Merlin leaned over, leaned over and said, don't worry about it, kid. He didn't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and both of those guys, Merlin and Deacon both, uh, at one point in time during during uh, training camp, they put their arm around me. Not not at the same time, but you know, it went, each of them had had their own moment where they 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 saw something in in this little redneck country boy that came from you know University of Florida. Uh, they saw something that 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 they liked, and they said, "Listen, kid." You can play. We have to teach you how to play. And I, I went, trust me, I'm all eyes and ears, now, boys. <laughs> <laughs> and from that moment on, I started taking home old film of Merlin and Deacon. I had my own projector. Uh, and every chance I I used to take, and I would, I would look at, what they did, how they did it, how they how they approached the the, the situation, third and four, uh, third and eight, you know that I looked at how they did that and how they performed, and I just tried to mimic that with with my athleticism, and it you know it it, it paid off, it paid off to the you know to the to the best that. It, it got me to, you know, to Ken. Well, that's that's amazing just to hear people talk, you know, especially hear you talk about Deacon Jones and Merlin Olson and experiences with them. That's just crazy. I can't imagine what that was like. They were great guys. Wonderful, wonderful. They were one. They were the best players you ever wanted to be a, to be a part of. But they were also wonderful men. They had they had great character and they you know they they and they wanted they, they shared that they shared that in their own ways Merlin was like a, an older brother uh, Deacon was you know he was like the the, uh, the drill sergeant and you you appreciated both of their you know, both of their qualities and it it, it really had a had a significant uh, aspect in, in in my career. I, I can't I can't imagine. Well, when I was when I was young, I was born in, in L.A. and my first Rams game was in 1971 that I went to, and I got to see if you can play, and that's the year that you were drafted. And I was already a Rams fan just watching TV. I was just a little tight, but I had family that were huge Rams fans and. You were always, you know, mentioned later on, you know, after that in, in dinner conversations and so forth as part of our life. But then later on, the Rams just up and left and went to St. Louis. What was that like for you as a player having them, you know, being being an L.A. Ram for so long and then having them move to St. Louis? What was that like for you? That ticked me off. <laughs> I I was I was mad at him, you know. I said, "How can you 
I can take our football team away. And and then for like, you know, five or six years, maybe even more than that, they they literally took our alumni out of their you know out of their their perspective. And and we had we had nothing to do with you know we were you know at, at first they didn't even put Merlin's and Deacon's jersey up in the in, in that arena in that in that stadium it, it was it was it was weird it was like they didn't want to have anything to do with with LA and and then Anaheim of course and so we didn't have a relationship there. And then that relationship changed a little bit, and they they started bringing um, bring our our alumni back into St. Louis, back into the Rams. Not so much St. Louis, but that's where we had to go. But we back to the Rams because they, they 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 finally figured out that you know it's kind of hard to to, uh, to blot out history. I mean, real history, and. And they they found that you know having 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 a relationship with those with the you know the older players was was beneficial to them. So and and so I got I got a relationship with the with the front office and 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 knew the coaches and went to, used to go and play in their golf tournaments and, and that type of stuff and and speak to the players knew the knew the you know the good players and 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 then then dead gummit if they didn't up and turn around and. Come back to California. <laughs> well, that's obviously where I was going next. So, so what was that like when they came back? <laughs> and, well, I was, to be honest with you, I, I was, I was glad that that they were back. I was just hoping that, yeah, that it did. That kind of a move for a year or two is going to have an effect on the whole organization. Not just the football players, but the front office, the coaches, everybody is going to be affected. I said, you, you think about it. I mean, St. Louis is not L.A. I mean, they're, they're walking into a whole other world. And sticker shock in, 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 in the California economy and, and all of that. And then moving families from the Midwest to uh, to Southern California, huge, huge move, and thank goodness they they, they did a they did a pretty good job with having the players and 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 helping them with 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 that type of a of a transition, and and now I you know I've got a I've got a, a great relationship with the guys here. You know, Kyle Eversgird is is he's like a like a son to me. And I, you know, love what he's doing. He's doing a tremendous job of, of keeping keeping the alumni involved with the current players. That's good because I know a lot of us that have you know been Rams fans long time. You know, since they've been in L.A. and when they were doing that in St. Louis, and it was not not only you know obvious to you guys that it was happening, but it was obvious to the fans as well that that they weren't taking care of you the way they should and bringing you out the way they should. And, when they finally turned that around and, and getting to see you guys back in the, the mix of things really made a difference for us as fans. And so I'm glad that they pulled their head out and actually did something about it, which is, which is good. So speaking of the, of the move back to LA and then hiring 
Sean McVay, what did you think of how they did last season and, and where the team's heading now? Well, Sean's done a tremendous job. I, you know, I, I, I knew he was a good coach. I didn't know how, how good he was because he was, you know, he, he's, he's younger than my son. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 we were we were Tom, Tom Mack and I and Denny Hara and Jackie Slater and some of us. We were chatting one time at, at something we were at, and I'm going, "Hey boys, think about this. When we were playing, what if what if they had hired a 34 year old, and we would we would have all been older than him." <laughs> 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 and, and you think you have to go, who? <laughs> and that might be a, a little bit of challenge there to, to you know follow in the, to get into in, in the, you know step with them. <laughs> but they've they've done a tremendous job. I I'm I'm very impressed. Uh, they, they 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 played they played much more disciplined, and of course they've they've got some they've got some good players and and uh, and <laughs> they've. They've, they've done a tremendous job, and I think they, they there's nothing but sunshine in front of them, I think. <laughs> well, you know, now they've brought in uh, Marcus Peters, Akeem Salih, Donovan Sue, and they've let some, some guys go. And, you know, how do you feel about where the team's headed, you know, with what they've done in free agency and trades? And, and you know, where do you, where do you think they, they need to work on? Well, you know – I'm not in the I'm not in the building there, so so I, I don't know the, the intricacies of what they're looking at from from individual players and where can we get better? You know, okay, I've got this guy and, and this one over here is open. He's on the market. You know, can he can he fill a spot this spot better than the guy that we have? So they're doing they're doing analyzing the talent. You you have to have great talent to, to be successful in this in this league, and I you know I, I think that you see that they they're digging deep and they're and, and they're they're doing some you know some really good uh, study of of who who and what is available so we can make this football team better. Well, the way that the money works in the NFL now with the salary caps and, you know, all that kind of crazy stuff with the Aaron Donald contract and bringing in Sue and, and all that, I I often wonder if if a team can afford to bring in that many good players in one year. And I've kind of been talking about the fact that right now we seem pretty weak at linebacker. What do you think about – you know, where they're sitting at linebacker and, and outside linebacker. I, know, I, I mean, I know that you played defensive end in a 4-3 most of your career, but then late in your career you ended up playing on the outside in a 3-4 for the last, I think, couple of years. So is that a concern where they're at with linebacker right now? Uh, no, they've still got some talent. There's, there's still some talent there. Uh, and I, I think, you know, Coach will go put them in the right place at the right time. That's the key to defenses is, is a coach that has an instinctive uh, aspect to, to what is going to happen on this play, on this third and fourth play. And he puts, he puts his defense in the, in the right place 
90% of the time. That's what that's what made Mount Ray Malavasi so you know so so good with us. I mean, he was just so instinctively ready to to make those calls, and make those plays, and put us put us where we needed to be to be able to go and play and and and, and stop them and get off the field. I mean, I think I think we uh, in several years there in a row we like. The league leading three and out, which turns ball games around, flips the field a lot of times. Well, it's pretty exciting where they're going, and obviously, I, I think they, they, you know, as we all know, I think they're in a window right now to try to make it to the Super Bowl, and they're doing everything they can to get us there, and it's pretty exciting. What, what advice would you have for a young player today wanting to get into the NFL and play football? Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, first of all, you you have to you have to love playing the game, and it, it's it, sometimes it's it's a miserable run. You, you have to you have to go so far beyond what anybody else, any other football players in the country are doing. You have to go so far beyond that to become available first, and then, and then, then as as your career goes on, being successful at the, uh, you've got to play at a high level so consistently that it's it is it's almost mind boggling. And it has to be. It has to. It takes away from. It, I, I hate to say this, but but it takes away from your family because the main thing that you're you're focused on is how i play how how i train myself how how i study you you just you're you're consumed with nothing but performing to your talent level you have to use every ounce of talent that you have the god-given talent that he gave you to go and do this there's a reason why you're why you're there. You better understand that you don't have that many more opportunities. Like I, like I said before, there's only one play that you've got that's coming. You better play that the best you possibly can. Well, one of the things that was most impressive about you and your career, and I think the reason it was real easy to to like you as a as a kid, is you played 201 consecutive games without you know, missing a game. The only game you missed, you missed one game in your 14 year NFL career. How did you, how did you do that? I mean, that's, that's quite impressive. What, what was it that, that made you so durable? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good answer. (laughs) I've, I've, I've looked back at that and I'm blessed. Norm, I'm, I'm really, I, I'm blessed. People don't do that. I mean, they, especially in today's world. Back in the back in the day, uh, we didn't want to come off the field. Uh, that's the way I was taught by Merlin and Deacon. You, if that's your job, you're you're going to go play. And 
You don't take yourself out of a ball game. I mean, Merlin would have literally kicked my rear end if I'd have held up my hand or tapped my helmet and I need to come out. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that would have been ugly. He'd have, he'd have done it right there on the field. <laughs> <laughs> well, and if you think about the way the rules are now, you know, it's designed to try to keep players from getting hurt. Back when you played it, there there wasn't any of that kind of stuff. So to, to play that many games consecutively is pretty impressive. Now, obviously, we all know that you played hurt, you know, the 79 playoffs with the broken leg. That's uh, – <laughs> That was yeah. pretty impressive. <laughs> that, that's that, that, that's a no go today. Yeah, but what was behind it behind the scenes is what people don't understand. Okay, I, I, I broke the fibula in the Dallas ball game, and we went in. We uh, I talked to the doctors, and you know we took an X ray and did all of that stuff, and, and we we called the trainers in and they taped it up. And, and what was behind that was the fact that both the coaches and the and, and the trainers and our doctors they trusted me that I would not do something to hurt the football team. That was I was captain of the team. It was my leadership role that I was playing with. And if I was if I was hurting the football team, if I couldn't make the play, that was that was my play to make, then I would have taken myself out of the game. Because that's that that was that'd been my leadership role. You can't you can't hurt your football team. And the conditioning aspect of it is go, comes comes into play uh the desire to 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 win every snap that comes into play. And then being being blessed and and having the opportunity to do that. Well, when you made it into the NFL and you're obviously you're looking at guys like Deacon Jones and Merlin Olson and all those guys, which I I can't even imagine. What when was it or what play was it or what moment was it that you you got out on the field and you just realized that man, I've arrived. I, this is my moment. I'm here. When when was that moment for you? Oh, that wasn't the first year. I, <laughs> I started for I started for Deacon. The, he he uh, he had a, a high ankle sprain. I think about fourth or fifth, sixth ball game of the year. And then I uh, I I started the I started the next seven ball games for him because he just couldn't. He, he couldn't. He couldn't walk hardly. I, I. I think it. You know. It, it finally dawned on you, on me. Probably in that somewhere, somewhere along the way, because Tommy Prothero hated me. He wanted. He. He, he drafted me number one. He, the twentieth player chosen in, in 1971, and for whatever reason, he. He just didn't care for me. In in every opportunity that he had, he he tried to. He tried to, you know, get me off the field, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't let him because I, I, I kept making plays. I, I, I realized what what Deacon and Merlin had told me: you can play, you just, you just got to let us teach you how to play. Um, and probably, 
probably when it really dawned on us that we could we could be we could be something special. We could be we could be a good football team. We could we could make make the playoffs. And then we and then that's a whole another that's a whole another cycle when you make the playoffs. It was it was probably in that third year with Chuck and I can remember in the yeah, prior to the to the season in, in the off season, Chuck Knox called me to the office. That first year he was there, and he said, he uh, he set me down in the office. He said, he said, and we talked about different things about the, the you know the the scheme and and this and that and the other about about how to play and how we gonna how we're gonna you know approach this thing. <clears throat> and he and at the end of the conversation, he said, he said, Jack, he said, I'm I'm putting my trust in you. Don't let me down. I remember that every day. Every day, he put trust in me, and so I, I tried my my damnedest to perform to the best of my ability, because he put trust in me. Yeah, that's that's incredible. But you had a. I mean, you can't even. I could sit here and go on and on and on about all your accolades and every, all your achievements and everything that you did, and, and we could talk for three hours just based on that. But and maybe maybe you'll give me a chance to do that again, you know, another time. But oh, we'll do it anytime you want. You know that it's, it's, <laughs> well, fun, what's it's the, fun remembering that. Sure. <laughs> well, I think right now people want to know what what are you up to now? What are you doing now with your life? Well, I I, I still have my hand. You know, in the in the league and in in with some of the of the players, this concussion thing is severe. We've got we've got some major problems, uh, and the the reality to it is that you can't take you take you can't take the 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 the, the, the vicious contact out of the game. Physics just won't let you do that. I don't care if you you, you can't can't wrap a football player up in bubble bubble wrap and and stop the 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 violence of running fast stopping the brain keeps going and it goes two times when that happens every mm-hmm. time so you're going to we we're, we're going to have it for as long as we're playing the game and it, it it's part of the game and at the same time, we we can't. We need to we need to continue to try and 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 take what happens and and make it better. And I've got a we've got a uh, we've got a, a foundation going right now that uh, there's there's a therapy out there that we uh, it doesn't it doesn't offset well. I shouldn't say that. It, it, it doesn't heal the brain, but it offsets the symptoms of the brain. The damaged part of the brain, this miscommunication is what happens, what's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, this therapy gives the brain the energy that it needs to make those communications, and that takes away the symptoms. You know, the uh, the, the lack of memory, the anxieties, 
the, all of the mood changes, swings, it, it, it allows the brain to act normal again. And we're, we're, trying, to, we're trying to put together a, a group of therapists across the country that uh, this therapy can, that they can perform the therapy on, the, on, these, on these guys. And not just these guys, not, not just retired players or current players, the military too. That's 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 bigger than than the league, to be honest. I mean, those sure. those, those those guys coming back from Afghanistan and wherever they they send them, uh, they come back in in worse shape than than what we get. So uh, that's that's that, that's at, at the at the front at the front door right now, working on that, trying to trying to get these these therapists to. To uh, to perform these this you know and get the information out to the players that this is available. So you started the Jack Youngblood Center for Newer Enhancement, correct? Yep, yep. And how can people get more information and how can they you know donate or or help with the cause or you know what, what go, can they do to do it? Go to the go go to the website and and see and and then then. It's been it's been a slow and, and, and hard process and and progress to 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 find the therapist that can that can utilize this therapy. You got to be trained for it, and 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 then and then players need to need to go and 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 want to go and 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 get healthy again, get better, because it, it not only does it affect them as as individuals, it it, it affects the family. Sure, and we hear that all the time. Well, and how how can people keep track of you? Are you a social media guy? Are you on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff? I'm good to I'm good to operate this phone. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't do I don't do do any of the social media stuff. I I let people tell me what they've heard on there and they <laughs> and then give me the information. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got to remember how old I am. <laughs> well, I, I do, and that's why I asked if you did. <laughs> I mean, I was I was joking around with the girlfriend before the phone call. I said, "Can you believe I have Jack Youngblood's phone number and email address on my contact list on my cell phone?" And she she was like, "You're a giddy little schoolgirl right now." <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jack, I sure appreciate you coming on the show with us, and and thanks for for taking the time to to talk to us. I know, you know, all the fans that that we work with, uh, many of them have talked about you, and you know, and as I, if you haven't figured it out now, I'm a huge fan. Every time I go to a game or watch football on Sunday, I've got your '85 jersey on, and and uh, I've got memorabilia from you all over the wall, and you know, thank you for for being such a great role model and, and hero for me as a, as a young kid. Norm, let me, let, let me tell you one more story here. We okay. Got, we got some time. We sure. Got, coming out, coming out, of, out of University of Florida, the first, when I, after I was drafted, they, within, within a month there, they had a, they had a rookie camp. And now you got to remember, I'm, I'm from Monticello, Florida. I go down to Gainesville. We're in the Southeastern Conference. I had I had never flown past the Mississippi River. Oh wow! <laughs> and, 
And so they put me on an airplane, and we, I think we probably made three or four stops or something, and, and we're flying to L.A., and, uh, and as we're as we're descending through the mountains, coming you know coming through the desert there, and toward LAX, for some reason, the uh, the fact that I you know I wore number seventy four in college, and I was thinking I'm going, you know that'd be nice if I if I could wear seventy four with the Rams, you know if I if I make the team, then, you know I, it, that'd be cool. Wouldn't have to wouldn't have to change you know any signatures or, at all. I mean, <laughs> and so I, I'm thinking about that. And we get there, and I go to camp, and, and go to the facility, and I walk into the to the locker room, and I was thinking, I was going, all right, I wonder what 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 Mr. Hewitt, what number he's gonna give me. As I walk through the door, uh, he had the lockers, and at the end of the uh, of of the lockers there, the first the first thing I saw was jersey hanging on the in the locker, number seventy four Olson, <laughs> and, I, and I went, yeah, I don't think I'm gonna get that number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. No, we we're not gonna get seventy four. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, you and I have something in common, by the way. You uh, in two thousand, you were the co-host for Walmart's Great Outdoors. I remember watching yep. that. And uh, with with what was it, Bert Jones? Yep, Bert. Jones. Right. <laughs> well, I actually am a uh, field staffer for a show called Horn Stars Outdoors, which is on uh, Pursuit Channel. And so I go out and hunt and fish and tournament bass fish and all that stuff. But uh, do you? Yeah. Isn't that fun? It is a blast. Yeah. And you're you're down in Florida, aren't you? Yeah, I'm. I I finally got back to got back close to home. I'm about I'm about two hours, two and a half hours from uh, from my farm. Well, you you like bass fishing? Oh yeah. Well, if I uh, if I head down to uh, Florida to do some bass fishing, maybe I'll give you a call and we you can hop in the boat with me and we'll go catch some fish. You, you you're missing the best time of the year, right now. Well, I'm fishing up here. Uh, I'm I'm in I'm in Maryland right now, and I'm fishing tournaments okay. up here. Yeah. But I'd lo- I'd love to be down there at o- Okeechobee and that whole area. They're uh, they're on bed right now, and they're they're hungry. <laughs> well, maybe I can come down and you can teach me a thing or two on the water. All right. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> well, Jack, thanks again for being on the show. And, uh, and you know, I hope we can have you again some other time here soon. And, and maybe, maybe if you don't mind, we'll give you a call back uh, after, the, after the draft and, and talk about the team. That... Good. Good. Sounds good to me. Anytime, well, again, Norm, you know that. Thanks again, Jack. I really appreciate it. All right, buddy. Thanks. All right, have a good one. You too. All right, bye-bye. Holy crap, Norm. We just had the man, the real man, the real – no offense to you, buddy. <laughs> the real man, myth and the legend, on the show, Jack Youngblood, the, the Hall of Famer, the, the guy who represents really what it means to be a Ram. So I guess the question I have to ask you is, what was your greatest Jack Youngblood memory? 
Oh, this interview by far. <laughs> uh, I was a huge fan of Youngblood growing up. I mean, like I said, I, I, I had his name on my helmet in youth football. Uh, I tried to wear his number, but they wouldn't let me because I didn't play a position that would allow that number in youth football. Uh, you know, the, the, the staple moment for me was playing in the playoffs of the broken leg. I mean, that just told me how tough that guy was, and it just made me respect him even that much more that he was willing to, you know, put it on the line for the team and still perform at such a high level. So that would be my favorite memory. But this interview was, you know, a bucket list item for me, and, and I appreciate you getting it set up for us. And, you know, it's, this is, for me, this is one of the staple moments of Rams talk as far as, to me, there's nothing bigger than what just happened. Well, folks, um, it's been a pleasure for us. Over the course of years now, we've had the web set up for a long time, 2013. The, uh, the first writer I brought on board the website was Norm, and he eventually became my partner in this venture. He, um, 100 episodes really honestly isn't that big of a deal. But then you go back and you look at all the other podcasts that never got to 100 episodes. Um, he and I both have poured a lot of time into it. Other, other writers have poured time into it. We've had to... Uh, rebuild our fan base once when the team moved, and we're still rebuilding it. Um, but, you know, it's it's been quite a journey through 100 episodes, and we're hopefully going to be with you for hundreds more. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for uh, listening to us argue and debate everything from, you know, Sam Bradford to Jeff Fisher to, well, just norm I, I guess i mean it is we're a little in the end it's a little emotional because for me personally when i was a child you know i went through a lot of hard times in life and i went through hard times um very young and the thing that picked me up was in the end i latched onto rams football and it was in 1987 they, the rams are six and nine that year they i the first game i ever watched them play is the game that eric dickerson gets traded away after that 30-17 loss, or 30-19 loss to the Browns on Monday Night Football. And, of course, later that season, I also watched the Rams get pounded on Sunday Night Football by the 49ers, 48 to nothing. And, nonetheless, I'm there. We're there when they're watching when Jim Everett takes the field in 1988, and, and they go to the playoffs in 89. I'm there when we watch the Phantom Sack. We're there when this team just completely muffs everything that they had for the drafts and those drafts in 89 and in 90 and 88. And we've been through it all. We've been through the greatest show on, on, on turf. I, I, this team has been a massive part of my life. And, and again, just being able to share that passion, it became my, my dream to open up a Rams website, to open up a Rams site devoted to this team and its legacy because for so long it was lost. All of a sudden now we have a podcast and now this podcast is growing and I've got great people with me. You know, now the person's become my best friend, Norm, and we're doing this together. It's, um, it's meant a lot to me. So excuse the sentimentality of it. And I think I've been nervous all episode. I, I've, you know, but it, this is, it's meant a lot to me personally. And it did mean a lot to me that, uh, we can get Jack and on the show. Can't wait to see who you get next. Uh, the bar's been raised. Well, <laughs> folks, let's let's get the let's lay it out for you. The draft is coming up here. 
this week. Our plan is this. We're going to get as many people of our team on on the show for Thursday night. We'll cover probably the first 12-ish. Depends on how long it takes. But the first 12-ish draft picks just to get our reaction to how things go. You know, probably want to see we want to see how the 49ers do and the the Seahawks. We don't care about them, but the Cardinals. Uh, we want to see if they move up. We want to see where some of these quarterbacks go, especially the, the Southern Cal quarterbacks. We'll be back on day two of the draft if for the third round, unless the Rams happen to move up, then we'll jump on immediately. We'll be here for the whole fourth round on Saturday. And then we'll do our big recap on Sunday. Hopefully we can get Jim Ever on the show for that. He's uh, got some stuff going on with his daughter. But Jim's a, been a friend of our show now for a while. We love having him on. So hopefully we can get him on. He's always got great views on this stuff. So there's our plan for the week. It's going to be a very active week for us. Stay tuned to the website. And, you know, maybe go back and listen to this one again. Help us make this episode our biggest one yet. Right now our biggest one, um, I think it was the one where Sue signed. That was our biggest one. We're asking you to help us make this one our biggest one. It mean a lot to us. Yes, thank you for all the support. And I would suggest that any of our listeners that want to see us do a, an interview with a former Rams player, let us know who that might want to be so we can get Derek to set his sights on that player and try to get him on the show. Yeah, it only took me five years to get Youngblood. Yeah. Well, <laughs> me five years, and and that's uh, that's 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 pretty good considering most people can't get him at all. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we never hear young. I mean, the guy, uh, he's the nicest guy in the world, but he somehow managed to stay off the the podcast area there. So, all right, so folks, we're out of here. Oh, one more thing, I almost forgot. After the po- after the draft, we're not done. We have already set it up and. We have set it up to where we are going to do a tour in the league. We mentioned it before. We have, we're going to be doing podcasts, interviews with members of the media and other podcasters from every team in the NFL, 31 of them. So stay tuned. Stay tuned because we're going to keep you on the end, not just about the Rams, but uh, all parts of the league as we get ready to see this. Hopefully this Rams team make the playoffs again and go deep next year. Exciting stuff, folks. All right, so without further ado, this is Derek C. Apollo for Norm Hightower saying peace out. Adios. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.
You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.